You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, family. Happy Easter. How are you all doing this morning? Good. My wife and I and a bunch of the UCLA students just got back from a campus encouragement trip to uh, our sister church in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, whose total number is 15. And their campus ministry is about seven or eight of that 15. And so there's, they were so encouraged. By going up there, we almost doubled the size of their church. But, and they were so encouraged. But I think for us, coming back, seeing all of you guys, I was getting really emotional this morning. Just, man, so grateful for what we have as a family, because of God. And so, this morning we start a series and a theme for our year entitled, Jesus 2016. You know, as the rest of the world focuses on the presidential election and politics and all these things, we're going to be focusing on who the real king is, and who the real Lord is, focusing in on Jesus. And what better way, we thought, to start a series about Jesus than to start with the most powerful thing that he ever did. To start with the resurrection. The title of my lesson this morning is All Things New. You know, and as I studied out the resurrection, you know, in preparing for this lesson, uh, I read through, you know, all the Gospels, read through a lot of the New Testament, just looking for kind of where to go and where to start. And it surprised me. When you add all four Gospels together, they total out to about 89 chapters of the Bible. And as I read through all the Gospels and counted through, I realized that of those 89 chapters, only five of them primarily are about the resurrection. I thought, even Jesus himself didn't talk a whole lot about it. You know, he talked about how it was coming. He prophesied about it. He talked about how the Son of Man needed to die and would be raised on the third day. He talked about how he needed to leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. You know, he comforted the disciples as he talked about it. But he didn't talk a lot about how significant it would be or how meaningful it would be. That being said, though, the resurrection stands as the pinnacle of the crucifixion. Right, the absolute summit of Jesus' triumph over sin and his triumph over death. You know, God knew that Jesus dying for sin wasn't enough. That to just go to the cross and die wasn't going to be enough. He had to rise. He had to become new. And so do we. And so my first point this morning, if you guys will turn with me to Romans chapter 6, is the old must go. You know, the one who spoke most extensively about the resurrection itself was actually Paul. And as I read through that, you know, that kind of struck me as very fitting, in that Paul's life in the New Testament stands as one of the most stark contrasts between his old way of life and the new. You know, the difference between killing Christians and hating Christians, not believing in Jesus, to then becoming the most powerful, most effective evangelist of Jesus in the New Testament. You know, talk about being made new. The resurrection resonated, resonated so deeply with Paul 
because he saw how clearly he needed to be transformed. You know, as he looked at his life and even the things that he thought he had been doing well for God, he recognized the need to give up everything to follow Jesus. And we pick up in Romans chapter 6 in verse 5. And Paul writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Powerful. You know, God's plan was never that we would just stop sinning and and just kind of cut these bad, sinful parts out of our life, and then he would just kind of put a band-aid on it, you know, a little plaster, kind of cover up the gaping holes where all this stuff was, and then just push us out and go, okay, here you go, go do something. You know, God's plan was never that we would just look like Raggedy Ann dolls in a world where image means so much that we would just go out there, kind of the remnants of whatever our life looked like. That was never God's plan. There's no amount of self-help, there's no amount of therapy, anything that can fix the character, the flaws, the addictions that the world imposes upon us. God knew that that wasn't going to be enough. We need to because we needed to have such a clear picture of the spiritual state of where our lives are or were back when we lived among them. You know, that it was a total loss. This is a total loss. Right? When you total your car, that's what it means. Right? You hear it like, oh man, I totaled my car. That means that your car was considered a total loss. That repairing it was beyond the actual value of what it was worth. Right? And for us, in the world, in our old lives... I mean, this is kind of what it looks like. I mean, sometimes you total your car and you can still drive it, right? I totaled my car full of interns on the way to a staff meeting on the freeway. We got rear-ended and the car was, was destroyed, but it still drove. You know, we were able to drive home. But for some of us, we kind of drive around like that all the time, right? The car is falling apart under us but we feel like, you know what, I can keep going. I can keep going a little further. Right? And maybe it's in the back, like mine was. And so uh, let me just not focus on where my life has been spiritually totaled. Right? For some of us, it's glaring. And for some of us, I mean, <laughs> look like that. Bro, what happened? I, I don't know. You know. I mean, he turned, and then I turned, and then he was on top. I don't Right? We, we look at, man, this, we have to see ourselves clearly that this is not what God intended. This is not functional. This is not spiritual. As much as you could say, man, those are still cars, barely. 
especially that Tesla. That's the orange one. Right? If we want to be men and women of God, we are called by Jesus to make a death-to-self decision. This isn't the, the fast and the furious spirituality where you can just pull out stuff and put other stuff in and soup it up. And you, no, no, God says, no, no, no. You've got to total the car and let me give you something new. You've got to give up your old life. We've got to give up everything. You know, this is such a vital part, this death to self decision of following God, that Jesus himself says in Luke 14, 34, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus says, look, if if you can't give it all up, it's impossible. You cannot be my disciple. And that's not because God says, oh, I, you know, I want you to give up everything and then, you know, total your car out and then you're going to ride your bike around everywhere. Right? God's plan is not, oh, give up everything, give up your life. God has such a greater plan because he has something so much more powerful in mind. You know, I remember for myself growing up and going to church with my mom until about high school. And, and in high school, you know, I decided that I didn't really want to have anything to do with God anymore. I wanted to call myself a Christian, but didn't want to sacrifice. Didn't want to actually do anything that it called for to be a Christian. I just, I wanted to call myself that. You know, I wanted to go to heaven, but I didn't want to actually have to do anything to get there. And so I would go to church on the big two, Easter and Christmas. Right? There, there would be a big three to make it even out like the NBA, but it's just the big two, right? Easter and Christmas. And so I, I would go to Easter, I would go to Christmas and, and you know, sit through this extremely boring lesson and, and be sitting there and walk out feeling like, okay, me and God are good, we're on the same page. I did my time, I clocked in, now I'm clocking out, and I'm going to go through the rest of my year, life, without God. I can call myself a Christian now, I'm still going to heaven, this is good. And I remember getting to college and studying the Bible. I had some guys who reached out to me and shared their faith with me and sat down and, and studied the Bible with me and loved me enough uh, to show me not just the, the fluffy parts of the Bible, the fluffy parts of Jesus, but the important parts also, the hard parts. And as I read through the scriptures and read through what it cost Jesus to get rid of our sin, the, sacri- the overwhelming sacrifice of the cross. You know, we actually have a replica of a crown of thorns right here. And I know a lot of modern day, you can, after service, you can come up and take a look at it. I wouldn't touch it too hard. A lot of modern day depictions of the crown of thorns are, are like, you know, a crown of rose bush, like with little, little ones. Little thorns. I'm actually going to pick this up here. But if you can see... Yeah, I've got to be pretty careful here. These aren't little. These are huge. And I think this is, in a small way, a very real depiction of even how the modern day can water down the overwhelming sacrifice of Jesus and make it seem small. 
And so I remember coming to terms with the sacrifice. And I remember sitting there and and realizing that according to the Scriptures, according to Jesus, uh, going to church on Easter and Christmas didn't qualify me to call myself a Christian. That just saying I believed in God and just walking around with the label on my forehead didn't qualify me for heaven. Didn't qualify me for any of these things. That it was so much more than living in my old life but wanting to slap a label on making it sound good to be a Christian. And that was hard. That was really hard, I remember, to come to terms with. And I love that in verse 5 of this passage it says, For if we have been united with Him in a death, then that's when we become united with Him in life. But if we haven't, the implication there stands that we won't. And if you're visiting with us today, if this is your first stop of two this year, Easter and Christmas, we're glad you came. I, re- I want you to feel welcome coming into the West Side Church. We are a family of imperfect people following a perfect God and trying every single day to become more and more like Jesus. But that also means that going to church on just Easter and Sunday isn't enough. That we have got to give up our old life. And the very fact that you're here with us today, God is talking to you. That God is calling you to give up your old life. To give up the addictions. To give up what maybe you wanted to do. The course that you had for your life that was going to make you comfortable and make you feel good. And to follow Him instead. And the thing is, there's actually someone that wants you to keep your old life. No one wants you to keep your old... You might think, Chaz, I want to keep my old life. That might be true. But no one wants you to keep your old life more than Satan. Because when you're living in your old life, when you're living away from God, man, Satan doesn't even have to worry about you. You're already far from God. He, he's like, I don't, gotta, I don't even have to play defense on this guy. He's not doing anything. He's sitting on the bench. He's not even in the game. Satan loves when we go after our comfort. And he loves when we go after the things that are easy. But that's not necessarily what God is calling us to do. You know, Satan is all about the past. Satan is an old-timer. You failed last time. Right? These are things Satan says to us. You failed last time. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You'll never be close to God. Right? These are things we all hear. But as I was studying this out, I realized, man, Satan lives in the past. Satan never says, hey, why don't you go sleep with this girl or go party with this guy, and afterwards, man, your future, it's going to be awesome. Right? He never says that. Satan always points back to how we used to live. Or to who we were before. You can't do that. Don't you remember how it went last time? You've never been able to do that. You, you can't do it now. 
You'll never be close to God. You don't even know what that's like. Right? He points back always to the past, to the old. He never points because he has no power over the future. The newness belongs to God. The newness belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to them, but that's their forte. You know, for us, the old must go. We have got to soberly evaluate our lives and go, you know what, man, my life has been totaled spiritually. I I have got to just, I, I can't keep driving the totaled car. I have got to impound this thing Just give this up, put this on the street with a just take it sign. And I've got to come to God because God's plan is so much better. You know, the power of the cross is so powerful. It is so powerful. Right? The cross is the conviction. When you think about, man, how does God want me to feel about my sin? Cross. Conviction. And if anything, the resurrection... What I love and what is so powerful about it is that the resurrection is the inspiration. The new must come. God's plan was never that we would live in the past or live in the old. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 16, the Bible reads, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what makes the resurrection So powerful. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we are following God. Because the resurrection is the promise of newness. If Jesus had just gone to the cross and died, the end. Right? If that's it, then then what do do we have? Paul even talks about, man, if if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our, our faith is as good as nothing. We have no hope. He says, if Christ was never resurrected, we of all men are to be most pitied. Thank goodness Jesus raised from the dead. The promise is that not only was Jesus raised into this new life, but that that resurrection was for us. That spiritually, we get to come to God with this old, broken, totaled life, turn it in, and say, God, look... I just want to be with you. I'll give up everything. I'll give up anything. You name it. And I'll give it up. And that God says, okay, I'm going to give you this completely new self. 
And it's throughout the entire Bible. You look at what, is God want, what God wants to give us. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I will give you a new identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5. He gives us a new purpose. It was for this very purpose to spend eternity with God. And one of my favorites, Ephesians 2.19, God gives us a new family. Members of God's own household. God's plan was always newness. His plan was always renewal, to be completely recreated for God. That we wouldn't have to live in the old life. We wouldn't have to try to get by. Chaz, I don't know how to live this new life with my old habits. You don't have to. God says, look, I will give you the new way to live. But Chaz, I don't know how to think. I will give you a new way to think, God says. I will give you a new heart. I'll teach you how to process, how to love, how to be. I'll make you a better son, a better daughter, a better mother, father, friend. I will make you all of these things if you come to me. God wants freedom for us. And that freedom means cutting all ties with the old and allowing God. We have to allow God to make us into who he wants us to be. Into something completely different. Chaz, you don't understand. My life is so messed up that it cannot be fixed. You're right. It can't. It is beyond repair. But God is saying, look, let's together make this life new. There is no prerequisite. You don't have to be a certain level of damage or not. God says, look, I'm going to make, whatever the situation was, you have a scratch, a ding, he goes, a flat tire, I will make you new. Completely. And I love that in this passage, Paul writes about the point of view. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Right? That even in our thinking, even in the way that we see the world, part of that is God saying, okay, I'm going to teach you how to see things the way I see things. I'm going to teach you how to see the lost. I'm going to teach you how to see the poor and how to have my heart about it. But you've got to give up this worldly view of things. I think even for us, that can be a challenge. As we continue on following God, whether you are a a disciple of Jesus Christ or not, to, to continue to see in your life, man, where do I still have this worldly view? Man, is it in my purity? Do I look at my purity and go, oh man, a little pornography is okay and I can follow Jesus? Or my relationships? Oh, I'm pretty sure that I can just go out and date anyone and do whatever and, you know, I'm still a Christian. Our relation, I can still have, you know, I'm, I don't love this brother, but we're okay. You know, I can be in the same room with him, but I don't think he's great, but I'm still a Christian. Right? Where do we have these worldly points of view that Jesus is saying, okay, you, you've got to still let those go. 
that there are still parts of your heart. Maybe you feel like, I've been made new. Jesus is going, okay, there's still parts, though, that I'm making new more and more and more. You've got to work with me here. And let me continue to renew these things. You know, perfection is a limited thing in the world. You might think, Chaz, I don't need Jesus. My life is going great. Like, I don't have to go through all the hardship. I don't need all the sacrifice. And what you're talking about is something that I'm actually quite content with my money and my not totaled car. But even if you live the most perfect life, it's still limited. Because you're going to get to the end of your life and you're still going to be worried about the one thing that all of us are going to have to face. We're all going to die. That death is, is the limit to perfection. But if Jesus has been raised, if you've come to God and given those things, if you've been made new, man, death is nothing anymore. Those songs that we sang, death has been defeated. I remember when I got baptized, the first thing I was like, dude, let's go share our faith like on the freeway with people. Like, I, you know, you're, you're a young Christian and you're feeling, you know, feelings of invincibility and you just, I'm just going to go, let's go to like somewhere where we might get shot and let's share our faith. Like, you're just bold and filled with this and you just want to do things because you're like, it doesn't matter. If I get killed, I'm going to heaven. If I don't make it to getting my degree because I'm still in my first year of college, amen. Less homework. No more finals. Right? We used to have that feel to us. Because you think about, man, when you got baptized, that was when you were most in touch with being resurrected. And over time, man, that feel can kind of wear off a little bit. You look, about, you look at Jesus, you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, it never wore off. Never wore off for Paul. The inspiration never stopped. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy. And man, when you get letters from Paul as like your discipling time, as, you know, getting trained in the ministry, he goes, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Right? Paul could have written, you know, this is my gospel, Jesus crucified. Paul could have written, man, this is my gospel, Jesus flipped over the money tables. This is my gospel, Jesus always went toe-to-toe with the religious people. He He doesn't say any of that. He says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That was his inspiration. He said, this is my gospel. Jesus raised from the... If you want to know why I'm over here in chains, why I'm sharing my faith to the point of getting stoned and almost killed and persecuted and chased, he goes, it's because I remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. See, Paul still had that baby Christian that fresh out of the water zeal about being resurrected. 
And he took it everywhere he went. And you see Timothy, you see these guys, and they turned the world upside down because they never lost. Hey, I'm resurrected. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, I can be raised from the dead. Man, what would it look like if all of us had that feel for like a week? Like starting tomorrow, you had that same kind of gung-ho, do anything, show your faith where you're going to get shot zeal that we had at that time. Man, what if we could remember the resurrection every single day the way Paul did? That man, he's looking forward. He's not looking forward to getting old in his life. He wasn't looking forward to my grandkids. He was looking for, man, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to be resurrected and to be totally free from I can't wait to never, do you ever think that, man? I can't wait to never have to worry about sin again. Man, I can't wait until I'm never tempted again. And it seems so far away, but Paul's going, no, that, I mean, that could be around the corner. I look forward to that. Do we have the same spirit? Man, God put it in us. We've just got to tap into it. Is this our gospel? Is this what is being produced in our lives today? Because this is what God designed. This is what God wants. He says, look, the resurrection wasn't just a remember it once a year, come together, have donuts in the foyer. Those were real good, though. That might be a regular part of worship after this. Right? But that wasn't the plan. The plan was, no, 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 no. We're supposed to remember the resurrection daily. Transformed daily. Renewed daily. And watch what happens to the world. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this. Right? When Paul says that, that makes me feel better about myself. When Paul says, I'm I'm not there yet. Okay. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting the past, forgetting the old life, forgetting the mistakes, forgetting the things that Satan is trying to get me to look at behind me, forgetting what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead. I press on, Toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is so powerful because it is a call heavenward. It was Jesus laying the foundation of what would be our lives forever. Not just in this life, but forever. Let's make sure that we forget what is behind. Let's be men and women of God committed to putting our old life 
behind us, leaving it where it belongs, dead, and walking every single day, one foot in front of the other, baby steps sometimes, new every single day toward heaven. Whatever reason you have for not wanting to follow God, whatever reason you feel like, Chaz, you just don't understand, I can't make it, forget it. Get rid of it. There is no time in this life, there's no place in this world for not following God. For not making it to heaven. We have no excuse. God has given us everything we need and everyone we need right here in front of us. He's put every relationship in our life. He's set every time and every place so that we would be here pursuing Him. Even if you walked in here on accident, God is pursuing you and is giving you everything you need. Let's throw down anything that's going to stop us from following Jesus and let's be made new. Amen? Amen. And at this time, as we transition into the communion portion of our service, I have a video clip that I want to show. It's a clip from The Passion of the Christ. It's one of my favorite absolute favorite scenes really representing Jesus' attitude even as he went to the cross about what was to come with this resurrection go for it Joe Jesus understood the need for resurrection Jesus was so in touch with how badly we needed this, that he was willing to do anything, even death. And so as as we pass the trays, as we take the bread that represents the body broken, as we take the juice that represents the blood that was shed, let's remember that the price at which this freedom came is beyond estimation. But that Even so, Jesus, who could have given up so many times, could have said, I I don't want to do this, had the courage, had the faith to push through so that we could have a relationship with God. So that in the same way that he looked forward to his resurrection, we can look forward to ours. Let's make sure that we honor this sacrifice with our lives, with our hearts, with everything we've got. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that the resurrection came after the crucifixion. God, that despite the suffering, that despite all these things, God, Jesus conquered death. That the story ends on such an incredible joy of victory, on such a note of victory. God, that the story is not one that's sadly placed, but that you triumphed because of the cross, that you triumphed because of the resurrection, and that because of that, we get to share in your victory also. God, I'm so grateful for the sacrifice of your son, and God, for the faith and the power that you exercise to raise him, and that you use in the exact same way to transform and change us. God, what an incredible privilege it is to be called your people and to know that you want us. 
I pray that as we remember this, that this is what we base our lives on, is on following you. That out of an incredible love and gratitude, we come to you to be made new over and over again. And we hope and wait patiently for the day that we get to see you face to face. Thank you so much. And I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.